Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever, whenever you happen to be watching us in the great wide world or listening to us, great wide world brought to you by the internet. We are the last three guys to do a podcast here for another Sunday session. I'm John Wardle, joined by Daniel Bolton and Leon Brown. Once again, I'm coming to you from my mother's backyard here in Henderson, Nevada. We've got the whole Zoom thing going on. You can't see it, which is a shame because, again, this is my mother's uh, backyard here in our house, and it's... It's pretty nice. I come back to Atlanta tomorrow, Monday. Looking forward to it. Again, don't want to leave my mom, but, you know, got to do what you got to do. Our guest today is uh, Craig Sager from Score Atlanta. He's joining us on a uh, bit of a kind of a return leg. I was on his podcast uh, about, I don't know, about a month, month and a half ago regarding the basketball championship. So Craig has graciously agreed to return here and not just to talk sports, but Specifically to talk the seven-on-seven summer league finals. So, Craig, how are you doing today? Doing well. I'll always come on when you want me to. Well, I appreciate that, and of course, that goes the same way. Uh, Craig, seven-on-seven. The big, I guess, the really big seven-on-seven tournament was this past week. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it? It was held indoors, wasn't it? At an indoor facility. We actually had to for day two and day three because of weather, but this was the, the ninth annual Colton Kell 7-on-7, and it was completely different this year because we teamed up with Georgia Tech. Okay. And they didn't just host it. I mean, they were directly involved. Coach Key, Brent Key, and his staff was there the entire time. They were offering kids on the spot, <laughs> showing them around. So I think – We'll talk about who the biggest winners were, but I also think Georgia Tech was probably the biggest winner in this. There were 93 teams that played over the three days. Uh, they got to see the action, and if someone impressed them, they basically had assistant coaches watching the action the entire time. They had profiles on a lot of the guys, and they took advantage of it. A guy like Traylon, Matt, yeah, Traylon Maddox from Parkview. Uh, who actually won day two. He's a running back, an athlete. He's committed to Georgia Tech. He had the game-winning catch in uh, the finals against Collins Hill as the coaching staff right there. And so I think it was a really just strong thing for Georgia Tech to do to bring it to campus, and then it worked out well. We dealt with the weather and stuff, but I was really impressed with how it went. Yeah, it seems like Georgia Tech, that is – when you're in a state with Georgia, of course, the two-time national championship, you've got to do something to differentiate yourself from the competition and really find a way to get your message out there. And it seems like Brent Key has uh, hit upon a pretty good way to do that. I mean, he's really taking okay. advantage of it. Yeah, so, I mean, you have a lot of people there that have been in tech a long time, but then you have coming in with kind of this new energy, new ideas. Uh, the new AD, and then the other key additions are Tim McFarland and Bill Stewart, uh, great high school coaches in Georgia who are there now. Uh, McFarland won a state title at Roswell, BT, and then was really successful at Fellowship Christian. Bill Stewart won a state championship at North Gwinnett his first year, had a great run there. They're directly involved in the high school relations department, so I mean, we wouldn't have been able to get 93 schools to this event without those guys. And that's a record, right? Most schools ever to involve themselves? We were at, so in the past, it was probably like 45 teams, but it was one day. And 
And so this shrunk it down to 30 teams per day. So the day went faster. It just happened over three different days. And we actually had some out-of-school teams get involved. So I thought that was something that a lot of those came about like last minute. You had Bluffton, South Carolina, that's Lenny Gregory's sons, the coach there. That one kind of made sense. They're right on the Augusta border. But we had Norland come in from Miami. Uh, we had Moody from Alabama. Who, I'm telling you, that that program, I didn't know much about them. They have some serious talent at that school all over the place. So I think adding uh, the out-of-state schools to the court you can tell seven-on-seven, seven, that's something that I think is game-changing moving forward because you saw all the success of it this year. I think more teams might be saying, hey, this is a great opportunity for us to come. And then Georgia Tech is obviously going to extend that branch as well, knowing that they'll get the chance to get a face-to-face with some of these big-time programs. Now, you and Najee Wilkins, I hope I pronounced that personally right, you streamed it live on YouTube on the Score Atlanta channel. Uh, how did that? How did that particular? Th- how did that particular go? So we've been having some technical difficulties. I'll just be honest with our audio, and so uh, the idea was because we have so we have pool play happening at five different locations, and then once the pool play determines the seating for the tournament, it's at three. And then it all goes to Bobby Dodd Stadium for the championships. Well, that only happened the first day. It rained uh, day two and then day three, so we had to move it into the indoor. So Najee and I were set up. We brought all the equipment there. He knows how to do that stuff better than I do. But basically, we were going to have Najee up in the press box at Bobby Dodd. And then I was going to be down there, or we would switch it up. He'd be down there and get the interview with the coaches. But we're having the technical problems and then we just ended up streaming it from the field and I thought it turned out well it's something I haven't really done before but it's a, it's a great stream because we started the day three one right when it was the quarterfinals so you had Brock indoors an 80 yard field it all still has the end zones but 80 yards so it's right on top of each other and we just streaming like probably the last day tail end of the quarterfinals all the way through the finals and I thought it was pretty pretty epic uh, there's some uh, tight matchups I'm trying to think of the closest one day three that was probably hateful charter ended up winning it who did they beat It'll come to my mind in a second, but yeah. it's a great streak. So how many uh, returning champions or defending champions were there? I know. So we had, yeah, Marietta was there. Colquitt was not. Uh, Central Gwinnett was there. Uh, Creekside was there. They won it this past year. And then Archers won it before. I, I'm, so I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. How many defending champions from high oh. school? From a DJ from the football finals, like Mill Creek. Did Mill Creek make it? Yeah, Mill Creek was there. They looked really good. Um, so let's just talk about Mill Creek for a second. Yes. Y'all know they're going to look really different this year. They don't have uh, Hayden Clark at quarterback. They don't have uh, Caleb Downs doing it all for them. But I'll tell you who really impressed me: Trajan Draco. He is 
a multi-year starter, and he was he was in terms of who took the most snaps at the Corsi Kale seven on seven, it was him. He was starting on defense, making plays. He was making tons of plays offensively. I think he's going to be a key part of their offense this year, and they're just so good at um, everything they do, honestly. Uh, but Mill Creek was there. We had Cedar Grove didn't win. <laughs> they didn't win, but they looked, they impressed me. Sandy Creek was there, and I'll tell you, um, I was with a lot. So the Georgia Tech players that stuck around and helped were all the quarterbacks. And so, like, um, I think it's Haynes King, the guy from Texas A&M that's probably going to start. Yeah. He was kind of like an objective viewer for the whole whole thing. And he was like, whoa, who's that team? They're really athletic. And I'm like, that's Sandy Creek. That's where Calvin Johnson went. But I'll tell you, they did look super young. They had some big playmakers. I do think they might have some growing pains early on this season. But they were there. And then, um, yeah, 4 a no. Five, no. Probably about two. Okay. Well, I want to open up the floor. Uh, Daniel, you got anything for uh, for Craig? Of course. Uh, Craig, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. It was good to see you again. I haven't seen you since uh, Fort Valley and since I was on the show as well. Uh, thank you for joining us. And I think that of course a good one. And I'll tell you, um, Grayson and this new coaching staff they have and what they I mean, they looked like Grayson, I'll just put it that way. Um, Walton obviously I thought Jeremy Heklinski, if there was one quarterback that you would want in the seven on seven to make a, a big third down conversion, that guy just has so much confidence and accuracy, it's unbelievable. He looked outstanding. Walton got completely screwed over in the tournament. <laughs> so here's what happened. They come out, opening drive, Eklinski, come back route, 25 yards. They're marching down the field. They're down by six points with 20 seconds left. This is in the semifinals. Jeremy Heklinski throws a touchdown. So you know Walton, they like to gamble. Sorry, they were down by seven. So they don't want to tie it up and force overtime. They line up to go two to try to win it right then and there. Well, one of their players jumped off sides, and then things were speeding up. We're, there was rain. We were already like an hour behind schedule. And so someone was like, oh, once you jump off sides on a conversion, the play's dead, game over. They didn't <laughs> even let them run the play. Oh, that's yeah, terrible. So then. Uh, part two, but I was like, "Come on, 
the game was going to end right there. It's not going to cause any time. And that's nowhere in the rule book. <laughs> and it didn't make sense either because if someone, uh, like, if you had to enforce a penalty from the previous play or the defense had a penalty, you put them halfway closer to the goal on the conversion. So they were doing that the whole time. So they cut them off. But I can't say that enough. I think Heklinski might – I don't know if he'll be the best college quarterback, but I think what he's going to do this season is going to be ridiculous. They've reloaded the guy, even more weapons. That was his first year starting. Watch out for him. But then Kel Parkview, that is going to be such a good matchup day one. Um, Parkview, don't sleep on them at all this season. They got Kyer Spain in the backfield. You mentioned Maddox. I mean, that guy – can play any position. He's a true athlete. Uh, he caught the game-winning wheel route. He's so athletic. And then I think Kale with um, just that offense, year two with Coach May, you got um, Bryce Clavin at quarterback, Kyle Bach has been balling out, Peyton Zachary um, going into his sophomore season after an All-American campaign as a freshman. I think that would be a great matchup uh, to kick things off. For sure. And then how is Cass going to look? People have been talking a lot about Cass. I've heard a lot in 5A. They're in a brutal region with Cartersville, Calhoun, um, Hiram, Dalton. But they're going to play Rome. So we'll see about that. All right. Uh, Leon, uh, we never did get your mic checked. Leon, are you, are you with us? I got you. Okay, all right. Again, we're talking with uh, Craig Snager from Score Atlanta about the Corky Kell 7-on-7 mega tournament that was held this past week over at Georgia Tech. 93 teams participated in this invitational, almost double what they normally get. And it's just uh, an incredible, incredible tournament. Kind of, I, I liken it to, um, you know how the NFL has the uh, Hall of Fame game, college football has media days, kind of the unofficial kickoff to the season. Well, Corky Kell at seven on seven is the unofficial kickoff of the high school of the high school championship uh, football season. I'm sorry. And I could I could see that in Georgia because of the hotbed of talent that comes out of the state of Georgia. That something like that, it's all hands on deck as far as college is concerned, as far as um, scouting talent. A hundred percent. And if you look at the first Corky Kell games in the Georgia Dome. Who did they put in the game? They put Thomas County Central against Southwest Cap. Quincy Carter was the quarterback. He was the number one player in the country at that point. So they always try to pick the, the best matchups, and that comes from the fact that the event was started by Dave Hunter mm -hmm. and high school coaches that literally wanted to put the best matchups to start the season, and that has an effect on the rest of the year kind of set the tone, set the storyline for potential matchups later on, and then who's going to come out week one and show out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and of course, Kel, this is a little different. Normally, they are the 10 a.m. game on the Saturday at Mercedes-Benz, but now they are hosting the first day of the Corky Kel Classic, and that's that Wednesday, August 16th. Um, that's the second game, Johns Creek in North Atlanta. They'll go first, and then Kell and Parkview, and we were talking earlier about how loaded Parkview is, and that's a very interesting matchup for that first game. Usually a power like Parkview, they would want to play in Mercedes-Benz, but now they're helping uh, Kell out and being over there, and that's going to make 
the uh, atmosphere over there at a very big atmosphere, very Friday night-ish here on a Wednesday night, that first that first day of the Corky Kill Classic. I 100% agree. And just look at what Kel did in this last school year. I mean, winning the basketball state titles, both uh, girls and boys, is such an exciting year. And I think when you look at their team last year, they were young. Uh, they lose Baker from the defensive line. He was a really underrated player. I think he played that defensive tackle position, like 20 sacks. But offensively, they are so loaded. Uh, they absolutely dominated a really good Peachtree Ridge team. I'll just come out and say this. The most impressive team where I heard Norcross coaches, uh, other coaches that were squaring up against them in the Corky Kell 7 on 7, they were like, this isn't the same Peachtree Ridge team as last year. Uh, you had Roddy White. He's coaching there now, former Falcons receiver. Got a new head coach. They clearly brought in a ton of talent. They had defensive backs getting offered by Tech on the spot. They played really well. So Kel beat them up in their spring game. And it was because Dane Zachary, he had a touchdown, Kyle Bach, and then the incredible quarterbacking of Bryce Clavin. And we don't know, is he going to go the baseball route or the, the football route? He's one of the top baseball prospects in the entire country. I just think offensively they're going to be a real contender in 5A. And then obviously they'll have um, – I mean, they have a great coaching staff. They'll have a lot of defensive talent returning as well. So it will be about the schemes for them. But going up against a Park two team out the gates, that is the matchup for sure. It is. Uh, and while we're talking about Kel, have to mention Scoo Henderson, who was drafted third overall in the NBA draft by Portland. Uh, again, Henderson – was a member of that Kel team, not last year. Didn't play, didn't play this year. But he did. Uh, instead of going the senior route, then going into the league or going to college, he left, he signed with the uh, Las Vegas Ignite of the G League. Uh, kind of a uh, one of those new teams that are coming about, where it's more of a prospect oriented team. And he parlayed an excellent season into being picked third overall by Portland. I heard talk where he might have gone second to Charlotte. Charlotte goes with Brandon Miller, and Scoot Henderson goes third to Portland. So congratulations to him. Absolutely. And when he was in high school, Kel wasn't in 5A. They were squaring off with the top brass. He was putting up 40, 50 points. I think he is, I'm not going to use a pun intentionally, but he is a trailblazer. And if you <laughs> think of him, he went this route before the NIL stuff happened. It's like... He had this vision on what's possible. Hey, I'm going to go to the league. I'm going to play all these games. I'm going to try to get better there. And then I'm going to try to be a top draft pick. How much would he have made in this new NIL landscape? It's like he was one or two years off, but still he has that success where he's going to go into the NBA with all this experience. And I think it's going to pay off for him for sure. I'm excited to see what he's going to do there. We'll see what happens with Portland's roster moving forward if they make any changes, but I mean, I'm just I'm impressed with just the decision to not go to college, go the G League route, kind of let that, like, I mean, you look at who got drafted this year, I think it was like 12 of the picks came from the G League. Mm -hmm. He was obviously the top one, but I mean, his improvement from when he first started to literally just taking over it, I think it's going to be exciting. 
And then his sister's decision to go to Georgia State, I think that's key also. She Crystal's not going to have to go to a program and try to be what she was at Hill, dropping like 30, 40 points a game. Mm-hmm. She's going to be able to work with the teammate, and she has an extremely bright future as well. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about, about what you thought about Crystal with that choice of going to Georgia State. Kind of like what happened with Jada Lewis about, I don't know, about 10 years ago. Great player coming out of McEachern goes to Georgia State, tries to fit in, be a role player, and uh, try to help that help that team uh, advance in the Sun Belt. Of course, Sun Belt a lot different from when Jada was there. Jada now has returned to McEachern as an assistant coach. Um, so bet, I wish Crystal Henderson the best of luck at Georgia State. Hopefully he'll be running into her uh, during my forays down to campus uh, as well. Uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Daniel, do you have – or Daniel Leon, do you have anything uh, – another question? All right, I got one more. I got one more thing I want to talk to you about. First of all, that is the news out of Georgia, where Dylan, uh, the quarterback for Carol, uh, from California, Dylan Ratiola. I I hope I'm not butchering it too much. Uh, four star recruit played at three schools in California. He's now going to Buford to beat their quarterback. Buford had a very disappointing, at least by Buford standards, football last year. But the addition of Dylan Ratiola certainly moves the Wolves up. The, up the rankings in 7A. Yes. I'm going to be honest. I knew this was going to happen about three weeks ago. Okay. I think it's so great. Yes. But it's funny because some of the people I was telling, because it was a kind of like an open secret, you just type in like Dylan Rayola, Buford, people are like, is it going to happen? Even the people I told, hey, I'm hearing this is going to happen. Once it happened, they were still surprised. And I'm like, Wait a minute. Do you not remember Jake Garcia literally coming from California? And so I think the question is this. It's like this guy's considered the number one recruit in the country, and he's already committed. So then people say, well, if he already has his commitment, why would he transfer? I think it's because it's Georgia 7A football. I mean, he wants to get better. He wants to improve himself as a quarterback. Where are you going to do it? I know – People might say it's unfair to the person that was there before. That That's a valid point. But in terms of his decision, it should make sense to people. He thinks he's the best quarterback in the country. He's rated like that. So he wants to go to a school where he can uh, compete at the high level and prepare himself for, for college. And I think um, 70 football in Georgia, I'm sorry, just, is better than Arizona. It's better than probably most other states. Uh, all other states, by the way. All right, uh, Leon, did you want to jump in? Yeah, uh, and based on your, based on your uh, previous, based on your example you just, you just mentioned, this is the reason why the court detail is so valuable. Yep. You have players traveling 3,000 miles away, not to, go to the, not, not to go to an FBS school, but to go to the high school equivalent of an FBS high school, so to speak. No, no, no high school, not FBS. To go to a high school in Georgia is like playing in the SEC of NCAA football, so to speak. So I think that's a great point. And even just think about the regular season. You have GPB and then you have us. We're broadcasting 34 games this season. GPB is going to probably be at, I'd say, like 20 or so because they're going to do all the state championship yeah, games. That kind of so pushes their total up. Yeah, you also get the television exposure by playing in Georgia. And then what else 
is Dylan going to be able to do by moving to Georgia? I don't know. Potentially recruit his five-star running back, uh, K.J. Bolden, to come with him. I mean, he, he's wow. off the recruiting trail now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that 100%. And I've seen him play. I mean, he is – he's the real deal. I'll, I'll just say that. You don't watch the film and come away with, oh, this guy can't play. He can definitely play, and I think it, it is the biggest storyline. I mean, just imagine Juju Lewis going up against Dylan in the playoffs. I mean, you can't beat that. No. I just think it's interesting that – I just think that's what it – that's interesting that that's, that's what Buford does because – I remember the last time Buford failed to get out of the second round of the state playoffs, they fired their coach. So here they go out and they get. Probably gave, they probably gave him a police escort on the way out. Yeah, they probably did. They probably did. So this time they keep the coach, but get the but get the number one quarterback recruit in the nation. Yeah, no, it is it is crazy. And then you look at some of their other transfers. They've got uh, both of those starters from St. Francis on the offensive line, but. Let's talk about the quarterback. He, right now, is probably the best quarterback that's ever gone to Buford. What are they normally known for? Great defense, um, tremendous offensive line play, and they always have a staple of backs. So this really is like a game-changing moment for Buford. You bring in the top quarterback in the country, it's like now they're basically IMG Academy. Yeah. Does that, Craig, let me ask you this. Speaking of that, Kind of a two-part question. Does that put Buford as the favorite in 7A to win this whole thing? And number two, how much pressure is on Buford to win? Is it championship or bust for them because they got the number one quarterback in the state? How do you feel about that? Oh, it absolutely is championship or bust. And I think last year we saw it too because they were number one. It's Buford versus 7A. Yes. Whether, whether or not that's what it is. And I don't know. I see a team like Milton that last year I think really shocked a lot of people with what they were able to do yeah. just with the new coaching staff, a lot of new pieces. And Luke Nichols, a great quarterback, they've got a mean defensive line. They've got great uh, skill players and a lot of talent. I think they just won the UGA 7-on-7 seven seven pretty handedly. So I think there are teams out there that can beat them. It's going to come down to a coaching scheme, though trying to recognize a weakness in that Buford offense. And, yeah, we'll come down to coming up with the game plan to beat them. How did Walton beat them last year? They went for it on fourth down every single time. They got an onside kick in an aggressive situation when normally eventual wisdom would say, don't do that. That put them up two points. They weren't able to really slow down um, Buford's offense, but – once they got up by two, they could kind of hold them off. I think it just, if a team starts fast, holds the lead, controls the game clock, they are going to be beatable, but they will definitely be the favorites. And an interesting matchup, though, I think like week three, they're going to play North Cobb. Uh, North Cobb and Buford the last few years, that's been a great game. Uh, they don't have Malachi Singleton anymore, but, I mean, North Cobb looked really impressive especially their defensive backs. They shut down guys the entire tournament. And I think if you just have good secondary play that can shut down the receivers, try to force Buford to be a running team, which normally you wouldn't want to do because they're so good at it, 
I don't know. It will take a great defense for sure, a great team effort. But even with Dylan, I don't even know if Buford beat Mill Creek last year, but by the end of the season, I that was probably one of the best teams I've ever seen come through the state. So it's just about playing well at the end. And exactly. And Mill Creek, they were they just worked, steamrolled everybody, putting up 56, yeah. six, 56 points a game, an absolutely unheard of playoff uh, production for the Mill Creek Hawks. I think another thing about Buford is I think they, they are under a lot of pressure from their community to get this state championship because they have been pretty much, I've likened them to the blob. Uh, they keep growing and swallowing everything in their path. Now here they are in 7A. The big, the, they're with the big boys now. They, it would be ultimate for them to kind of get this, get this championship to prove that Buford is the number one school in football in the state of Georgia, no matter where they are. Exactly. And what was the storyline before last season? Buford's trying to become the first team to win the state title in every classification. Yes. So the one they don't have is 7A, and that's why um, they're loading up for it. It's championship or bust. Uh, we'll see. But I think it's also just going to be motivation for everyone that faces them. I mean, Carver Atlanta last year when they played Buford, they were up at the half. I think it was like 28 to 21. Eventually, Buford came out. Every team that's going to play them this year is going to uh, step up and play their best. They aren't going to want to get uh, run off the field. Uh, Daniel Leon, I've got one more. If you're, if you're not from Georgia, you don't understand that Buford has been in every classification. Yes. People do not understand that. And they. They treat themselves almost like a, almost like a, I would say a power, not a power, well, a group of five school, because their their facilities are e- easily the best in the state in terms of football, baseball, basketball. They got a top-notch football field. Their basketball would beat most GP5 uh, arenas, and their baseball field is pretty good too. So they put the money in, and their community completely behind them. They definitely want. They definitely expect excellence from what they have in terms of their facilities. Yeah, I mean, there's about like 23 city schools or something like that, but they're unique because imagine if, like, let's say, all right, um, like, let's say Valdosta is a city school. It would be like the city of Valdosta saying, we're going to make our city hall our city headquarters, the high school campus, we're going to build a dual-purpose basketball arena that can host other events. We're going to build a concert hall for our, our band that can also bring in events for the city. That's what Buford's done. I mean, the other city schools are like, here's the city, here's the school. With Buford, the school is the city. It's like they, they put that as their central location, so they're just on a different level in terms of facilities and the overall funding. And then they pull it from Hall County, Gwinnett County, and uh, the city. From what I've seen, you know, and I'm I'm one of those guys who I'm, you know, like me, I think me and John, I think John's more of a a survivor when it comes to high school football. And I'm from California, and I've never seen anything like this. And I'm from San Diego. And I've never seen anything like a Buford High School where I'm from. It's like Buford High School. And my brother, he stays in Buford, Georgia. 
is like the crown jewel of high school of North Georgia by far. And I've never seen like such funny. I mean, the facilities at Buford rival UGA. And it's a high school. That's, that's almost, yeah. it's, it's almost unheard of. Right. Right. No, 100%. Their basketball arena is hosting like the semis with Georgia Tech Stadium. It's like, that's what the city does. You're absolutely right, though. With Buford and that community, it almost has like this reputation that's above high, like your typical high school. It has like this surrounded thing where it's like, oh, this is Buford. The expectations there because you know you're in the best facilities. Know there's that expectation to, to get it done, and then yeah, the support and reputation is insane. And I think what's also interesting about it, it's like I went to Walton, we had people coming in from like branching off from my middle school to Wheeler or different things like that. With Buford, it's like they have these kids wanting to, they have the transfers, but they also have like the kids growing up in the middle school that or in the, the Buford Youth Program. And, I mean, that's just the place where people end up. I mean, it's it's insane. My roommate in college, Tui Hosh, is the OC at Norcross now. He was a state championship quarterback at Buford. And uh, that's that's the real deal. You win the state championship at Buford, you're in that, that elite class. But they have a really interesting schedule this year. Oh, yes. And imagine the crowd size at some of these games. Last year when they played Mill Creek, I think there's like 15,000 people at that game. Now they have Dylan Brill. It's going to be insane. It is. Another team I want to ask you about is Colquitt because uh, they are going to play Massillon in Ohio that first week of the year. That first week of the year, right? Am I right on that? That Valdosta playing them or Colquitt? Oh, I thought it was Colquitt, but I'll look that up quickly. They definitely play mass, and I know you're right, the Tigers. Um, I think that is like the – is that Hall of Fame week? Yeah, that Hall of Fame that Hall of Fame game or something like that. Right. I got to check if that's Colquitt or Valdosta. Um, I think Valdosta might be participating also, also. But, yeah, it's huge. Maslin's the – if anyone's never seen that, that documentary on them in the early 2000s, was it Go Tigers or something like yeah. that? Mm-hmm. It's epic. Yeah, it is. You're born in the hospital. If you're a girl, you get pom poms. If you're a boy, you get a football. And they're already <laughs> saying whether you're gonna whether you're gonna be a lineman or a receiver or a quarterback's the ultimate. If you get deemed a quarterback, that's all right. You know what's, what's interesting hearing all these wonderful things about you. Can you guys hear me? Uh, yeah, I got you. John, uh, you know, more so than John. You know, working with John, I've got, I have the privilege of you know, doing some color commentary for Reinhardt University. And I haven't seen a crowd that big at Reinhardt. No. Versus what is discussed. And Reinhardt is college football. Well, it's NAIA. Um, yes, but it's college football, though. Mm-hmm. At the same to NAIA, but then when you when, when we're discussing Buford and the crowds that come out and the time of funny comes in, like what? And, and then though that's why I said I've never seen anything like it before. Not not on the high school level. Okay. Correct. Uh, I want to correct myself. Craig, you were right. It is Valdosta. 
They are going up there. They're playing Washington of Ohio in that Massillon tourney. Uh, Colquitt, they play Dutch Fork in their first week. That will be a good matchup. Yeah, it will. And Craig, yeah, also. And Craig, Daniel and I, as you know, Daniel and I do Pace Academy on our Friday nights. Uh, have you heard any, what have you, I don't know if you've, you've gotten down this far into 4A, but uh, what have you heard about Pace Academy in their season for this year? I mean, 4A is going to be really interesting this year. I think it's wide open. Uh, they squared off against a lot of teams that I think have top 10 potential, including them. You look at Holy Innocence, uh, Southwest DeKalb, Westminster. Um, I mean, even Miller Grove was really competitive last year. That entire area, I think overall, every single team that I just mentioned is going to be better than they were last year. Who else is going to step up in 4A? I don't think North Dakota is going to be as strong as they were last year. Benedictine's always going to be good. They might be the team to beat. Cedartown lost all their senior experience, but they are just a program that knows exactly what they're going to do every single game. They're going to be tough, but Stockbridge, watch out for them. Uh, their offense, watching them play, reminds me of Douglas County, the way they're able to pass the ball with all these really fast receivers, quick check downs, deep balls. Um, I mean, Douglas County, we'll talk about 6A later if you want. I think they have top five, top three potential this year to even uh, run pace with uh, with Hughes in region play. They're actually the only team that really gave them any trouble in the first half. Um, but also in 4A. Oh, you can't count out the South Georgia schools. I mean, Bainbridge, yeah. you have Lost their spring scrimmage, but Coach Smith was pretty pleased with some of their multi-year starters. Well, another team Daniel and I did, uh, at least toward the end, was Warner Robins. We we called their quarterfinal and their semifinal game. Didn't get to do their final game against Rhode County where they lost, but uh, they're losing Vic Burley, so that's got to be a blow against, uh, for their defense. Um but it seems that they have a lot of good pieces on the offense returning. Yeah, Big Burley. I was talking to Big Burley's side, uh, head coach at the tournament. And I was like, how good do you think Warner Robins is going to be? He said Big Burley's the reason they won that game last year. But he, I mean, he said he still thinks they're going to be really good, but he can't discount how good of a player he was. Well, I, I would tend to disagree with him because – they did a lot. Yes, Vic Burley was good in that game, but so were so many other people on that squad. It wasn't just one player beating them because that was cause Daniel and I did that game, and that was just an absolute war Robin Demon route. That's just what he said. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. It was it was a team. Yeah, it was a team effort. Yes, and I can tell you what. The it went to over. Went to overtime, and they went for it on fourth down, and we were puzzled by it. And and I was telling John, well, this is what's going to happen. You go for it on fourth and flawless. It was, what was it? John? Like fourth and fifteen? Yeah, something like that. They, yeah, they went for it instead of kicking the field goal and putting three points on the board. It's, 
instead they go for it and they miss. Well, all Warner Robins had to do was you know two was run two two running plays and kick the field goal on third down just as I told John. This is what's going to happen. That's right. Get out of here. <laughs> and that's what happened. But I tell you what, guys, that crowd was in a frenzy because they were waiting for it. We had called the uh, Creekside Dawson game the week before. Yeah, they Mount- just dismantled Dawson. They sent them back up to the carpet, to the uh, carpet capital of the world. Yeah. So it was, it was unbelievable. But that's what everybody was talking about. They wanted, they was waiting on revenge for uh, for Warner Robins, and it was almost like the crowd overlooked Dawson. Which was okay, I, I get it. Because mm. they were just much better than them. But man, they was looking forward and looking they were looking forward to that matchup. They got it, but yeah. they, I think Chris I kinda fumbled out of the way. Yeah, it went the same routes and now for the last two years Warner Robbins has knocked Creekside out of the playoffs. And if I'm Creekside, I'm just hoping that when the when the brackets come out and they both make it, they're on completely opposite sides. And don't meet until the finals. Exactly. Yeah, Creekside. I've seen. I was at their championship. That's probably like eight years ago. But yeah, they've been obviously for most years. Let's see if they get it done. That last year was interesting with them. They came out a little slow. They lost to Rome early on. But yeah, by the end of the year, yeah. Leon, you, you got something to, you got something to add in? I'm good. I'm I'm soaking it in. I'm soaking it up. Okay. Uh Leon, were you with us when you uh when we were talking about yeah, you were with us when we were talking about the draft, uh with Scoot Henderson going third to the Trailblazers? Right. Yeah. Uh and a lot of and a lot of the NBA how was how did your Lakers draft? I didn't really pay I didn't really pay attention to that part. I was more so And you call yourself a fan. Yeah, the yeah, I'm still kinda getting the Lakers, our problems are not going to be solved in the draft. Okay. You know, like the, Lakers, the, the, the Lakers' biggest problem was actually um, was actually consumed. Like the, the Lakers' solution was consumed by Memphis in the offseason with, with with their acquisition of Marcus Smart. Okay. They really whipped on that because mm-hmm. with Marcus Smart being a defense, a former defensive player of the year. A defensive-minded point guard is what is needed, is what the Lakers need. Because, one, everybody in the Western Conference has a, has a Jamal Murray problem. Everybody. And Jamal Murray will be a problem for everybody during the playoffs. And it's going to take a defensive-minded point guard to slow that down. And when you slow that down, now that requires someone like Jokic to beat you. And there's, and there's several other great point guards, phenomenal point guards, that are in the Western Conference that the Lakers don't have the point guard to keep up with that. And with Marcus Smart going to the Memphis Grizzlies, for obvious reasons, it just kind of, it, it kind of leaves us now, like, hey, we have to get, we have to get a Kyrie Irving-like player. So during the draft, I, I really didn't, I, as a Laker fan, the draft, I'm, now I'm happy for San Antonio because San Antonio has a very good draft history. As far as drafting big men is concerned, I think that Wimby is going to do great things for them. And, you know, either he's going to be a great player, uh, a generational talent, or he's going to be criticized for a thing. 
Well, the last oh, two, the last two number one picks for San Antonio, they haven't been bad. David Robinson and Tim Duncan. Yeah, these guys, they, they, they were, they were pretty, they, you know, they, hey, these guys were pretty good. So, yeah, and, and on top of that, even they're not number one draft pick, Kawhi Leonard. You know, he, he made his mark. You know, he's been, he's, he's been on injuries over the past four years, but at the same time, he, his, his draft status has paid dividends for San Antonio. So, San Antonio had a pretty good idea of what they're doing. I think good things will come out of that. You know, though, you know, from a non-bi, but I'm still a Lakers fan. All right. So I think great things will happen. All right, we're talking with Craig Seger from Score Atlanta. We were talking high school football. We're talking 7-on-7. Seven seven. Uh, Craig, one more thing. Um, the first scrimmages will be in six weeks, a little less than six weeks. What are At Score Atlanta, what are you doing? How will you spend July prepping for your for the high school football season? So right now – we're actually getting ready for the Falcons training camp, guys. So that's going to that's top priority right now. So we've been speaking to the Falcons. That's going to go out like July 10th. We're going to have our preseason rankings out. Uh, Najee Wilkins, I've got to give him a shout-out. He is, without question, the most talented guy I've ever worked at Score Atlanta with over the 12 years. His predictions, uh, his content. What he's taught me about some of these other schools, that guy is incredible. Everyone needs to check out the Scoreland YouTube page. He has great coaching interviews. So, really, I'm just going to be working with Najee to get these coaching interviews and just try to get a good gauge on what the storylines are week one, all the big games, and then how we can provide the best coverage during Court Miguel. We're going to have all these uh, segments like talking about the, the off-season recruiting, but then we also have the first-ever Georgia High School Football Media Day. Yep. It's going to be downtown Atlanta July 26th. Um, gosh, I th- we're going to try in the future to even make it a multi-day event. That is a Wednesday. That's right. We're trying to get over 100 schools to come out with all their seniors and then underclassmen. We'll also try to get their assistant coaches going to be like four or five stages going at the same time so we're just trying to get as many teams as possible to talk to them talk to their players get it kind of on record what they're thinking about this season and then we'll be able to go back and look at it see how they stack up see what they said um was was cap or not i don't know it's like there's some coaches you can just tell i mean at Gainesville last year, we talked to Josh and it was like, okay, this guy, I don't hear any other coaches talking with this much confidence. Look at their team. And then you just knew they were going to do something. It's like, I think that's what we're going to get out of the month of July. Once they've been through the spring, been, been through the off season, just talk to them exactly what they're expecting. Week one. All right. Well, uh, you got, uh, uh, we have about, let's see, 10 more minutes, I believe, on our allotted hour with Craig Seger. Um, again, we were talking high school football. That's not what I want to do. There we go. Uh, College World, I don't know if you've been following the College World Series, Craig. Um, LSU and Florida. Florida just, LSU won game one in 11 innings, in 11 innings last night. Florida responded. I don't know what the final was, but Florida had a 10-run lead going into the seventh inning, so that's going to set up tomorrow's do-or-die winner-take-all game between LSU and Florida for the Baseball National Championship. 
I think LSU is going to throw Paul Skeens, probably who's had an incredible College World Series, had two very good games. He had the opener and then finally had the uh, one against Wake Forest that propelled LSU to the National Title Series with Florida. So in this winner-take-all game, I like LSU on that to shut the shut the door. I don't know again, Craig. I don't know if you've seen the College World Series, if you've seen any part of it. Uh, but if you have, what is what has uh, kind of what was kind of a leapt out at you? Uh, it was that Wake Forest game. I watched it. It was zero zero going into the eleventh inning. Wake Forest, uh, they had a great season, and you saw in that at the top of the eleventh, they got some runners on, and then LSU closed out the inning. Someone I think hit like a deep ball towards the warning track. The LSU guy catches it. Zero emotion, zero celebration. And at that moment, I was like, they're about to win it. Like the other teams, like they're celebrating getting out of an inning. It's like, no, you, this is a long game. Go get it done. And then I think the first guy walked to get on base, and then you see the two run homer. And it's just like, okay, this LSU team gets it. Uh, they're really dialed in and focused. They've been able to win all these low-scoring, just drug-out games. And I think the SEC has been tremendous this year. That's why we have LSU Florida in the championship round. They haven't faced off before this. I think LSU in that like, decisive game three atmosphere, I think they, they have had that kind of special touch. And, I think LSU in general, just what they're doing across the board athletically, uh, watch out. They're definitely in that that battle right now. They're trying to elevate even across the board with their sports they're doing. What, we we got to ask some questions. What was Florida on today? It, I mean, I don't get what, – was, was that a beatdown called for? Yeah. Yes, I think they got. I think they just had so much frustration about yesterday that they just kind of unloaded. And I think LSU is trying. I think for LSU, winning game one was huge for them because now they kind. I don't want to say they didn't care about game two, but they knew that if they had that if they didn't do well game two, they had their Paul Skeens to come in in game three to shut them down. I think they are really looking forward to Skeens being that guy, that hurler that they need to throw a shutout against the Gators tomorrow night. And I mean, that's definitely what they're going to want to say. Yeah. But no, that's a great point. They have had their back against the wall. It sure was in that Wake Forest game. We get that tough victory again game one, and I think you're right. They probably just get off to that bad start and get down, and then the game just slips away from you. But I think game three is going to be intense, and I have been watching it. I'm definitely going to watch game three. Yeah, that's Let's take some baseball and talk about the majors real quick. Um, Atlanta just broke uh, a direct 12-game winning streak yesterday with a 7-6 victory. Um, the Atlanta Braves, are they the team to beat? I know they're the team to beat in the National League, Craig. Are they the team to beat in the majors? I know Tampa's over there. They, they had a great start to the season, and they've been – that is a great question. I think the only way to answer that is like if you had a good formula of okay, in a series, how good is their bullpen right now? Are they like the best overall balance team? 
not necessarily the one that's doing the best right now? Like, are they just a good balance test? I think in that case, they are. I mean, back in the day when the Braves were just winning all the division titles, it's like in the regular season, if you're competing with the Braves, you're probably doing something right. So they definitely are a team that is going to show up and has the track record. Yeah, I don't see. I mean, they've already they've already made a mockery of the NL East. Once again, everyone's talking about the Mets. Well, hey, Mets are now they're down they're down in the standing. So once again, it's the for the NL East, it's the Braves are bust. So I think Atlanta's going to coast from here and win the National League East, no problem. It's just a matter of who they're going to get in the championships. I mean, Dodgers look good again. They still could place the Reds because they're playing good baseball. Um, so it, it's. It's the Braves to win in the East, and then once we get into the playoffs, then kind of, then things kind of go up for grabs. Yeah, I kind of I like Tampa Bay. I, I think it's like a toss up between Tampa Bay and, and Atlanta. Tampa Bay just thus far they just have the better home record. You know, with being thirty four and ten versus um, Atlanta being twenty four and fifteen, and then you know, but the same, but Tampa Bay unfortunately, and this is, you know. I think it's part of games played, but, you know, the Braves play better away than Tampa Bay, which to me proves mental toughness under the rest. So it's, been, it's a bit of a talk. I think the I think the NLCS will feature Tampa. The two, yeah, it could be Tampa Bay and Atlanta. And, In know, the World I Series. Guess, yeah, Tampa Bay, they couldn't – they – there was a time there where you couldn't you couldn't pay people to go to the trot. I mean, it was just a terrible, terrible uh, atmosphere. But now that the Tampa Bay's winning, they're starting. They realize that winning cures most of your ills at the box office. Yeah, yeah. 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 Go, go for it. Yeah, their their run scored versus run allowed ratio is ridiculous. You know, one one fifty. You know, they're like, they're like plus 150 for run score versus run allowed. That's insane. Yeah. Definitely is. Well, we lost Daniel, so we'll see if he comes back uh, against but me. You it, but you were mentioning the Braves' home record. You're exactly right. I remember looking at it, like, kind of earlier in the season. I'm like, what's going on? Like, you look at Tampa Bay, they're dominating at home. The Braves were struggling early on. So, look at them last year, too. It's like once the All-Star break happened, they really got hot. I think um, what they've been able to do, despite some of these home losses, uh, watch out for them, for sure. Yeah, especially in the second half of the season. All right, uh, Craig, you were talking a little bit uh, about the Atlanta Falcons uh, getting their uh, training camp guide going. Uh, the Falcons seem to have, I think it just seems like that a lot of their positions are set. I mean, you got Bijan Robinson, he... He and he and Al Gary are going to um, are going to spell each other. Quarterback is set. Wide receivers are set. It just seems like there doesn't for positions anyway. At least the skill positions, they're pretty much we know who they're going to be. That is exactly right. I was thinking about it last year with all these new changes. This is the year where they double down on what they were good at. I mean, we're great at running the ball. We did more outside zone runs than any team I think in NFL history. Now we're doubling down. It's 
dumb offense. Uh, we have an offensive line that proved itself in the run game. We know those guys. Okay, we're going to double down. We're going to take a, another lineman to bolster that. I think they're forming an identity. Can they win the division? I mean, the division isn't looking – I'm not saying it's a bad division, but there's no, like, clear favorite at this point. But I think – I think it's going to be exciting uh, what they're able to do offensively. Every single play is going to line up and look the same. They're going to do that jet sweep. Sometimes they might hand it off. It's going to be about the quarterback play. I don't think they're going to put too much pressure on Ritter, but uh, Bijan's a huge get for them. I think, I don't know, make um, make an offense that's able to run the ball effectively exciting. I like watching that kind of football. I mean, you're moving – all over a defense, getting four or five yards to carry. I think that's going to be exciting. And Falcons fans are ready for it for sure. Yeah, definitely. Craig, it's a bad division. It's a bad division. Yeah, the division's bad. You got, you got you got a rookie quarterback in Carolina. New Orleans is up in the air. Atlanta has pretty much a rookie quarterback, and Baker Mayfield in Tampa Bay. It is safe to say. That the winner of this division, you use a very well film, this very well made possible. Very well made possible. That the winner of the division will it'll be another seven game it, it could be like the first one of seven or eight games in the NFC South. Yeah, it, the and not only that, it's gonna be they'll host the top wild card in the in the NFC. So the team that loses that bruising battle in the East will get to visit the NFC South in the first round of the playoffs. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's great teams in the NFL. I really like Joe Burrow and the Bengals. I obviously like the Chiefs. But, like, last year in the playoffs, you have Miami with backup quarterbacks. You have a ton. I mean, last year we saw more backup quarterbacks in the playoffs than I think we've ever seen before. So, I think it's more like a system thing. The Falcons have a chance. I, I think you're right. I mean, there's no, like, heavyweight at this point in the NFC South, but the Falcons have an opportunity to do something this year. I think it's just about the scheme they're going to run and trying to just be a unique team in that department, that outside uh, zone run. And Bijan, can he have a, a breakout season? We'll see. Yeah, the- I think Bijan is probably the acquisition of the offseason right there. That, that could be played big dividends for the Falcons. Yeah, 100%. I think um, just reading his story, looking at his highlights from Texas, I mean, that guy's the real deal. I mean, he is physical. I think he had more – he forced more uh, missed tackles or broke out of more tackles than anyone in the in college football last year. I mean, that's what the Falcons need. You already have a solid run game. It's like you had a guy that can get those extra yards and just kind of be that finisher. It's a good formula, and then you're able to pass the ball when you want to. So we'll see. I still don't think they'll beat my Chiefs. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I didn't. I, my lights went out, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. Um, yeah, we we so talked a little baseball. Now we're talking talking a little Falcons before we go. Oh, you got Falcons. Okay. Guys, um, guys, once again, Craig, you yeah. say you're a Chiefs fan. I'm a Chiefs fan. Leon likes the Chargers. Oh. 
my I sister, got... my sister literally has an Andy Reid tattoo. So I'll just say that. Also, <laughs> oh, yeah. So Casey, we need to get Casey on. Is what we need to do. My sister yeah. knows more about the Chiefs than anyone. I mean, it's insane. Like yeah. she is, she is in tune with every single thing they're doing. It's incredible to talk to her about it. But yeah, it is interesting being a Chiefs fan recently. Uh, I didn't expect them to get these back-to-back titles. Or not back-to-back. Sorry. Uh, Last three. Yeah. yeah, last three. And for them to win in the same year, it's just insane. But Najee's a big Bengals fan, and so that was tough because I honestly, I think we got lucky in that game. And then no one wants to give the Bengals, no one gave the Bengals any love last season at all. It's like they were balling out, mm-hmm. and their defense was really good last year. It's just for the same reason that no one really gave Denver their, their Denver Nuggets their respect. It's just the historic that the history of the Bengals, yeah. you know, it's kind of like the Chiefs, kind of sort of. Before, before Pat Mahomes for the most part, the Chiefs have been pretty much like that middle of the pack kind of team coming going. But then they 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 you know once they got Pat Mahomes. Then they have a nice. It's they, they, kind of like they stabilize as a team. Right, right. Well, um, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make that the last word, guys, because uh, we are out of time here on our hour here. On the last three guys do a podcast, we could go on for many, many more hours. But I have to pack for my trip home tomorrow. So I want to thank Craig Seger from Score Atlanta for joining us for a great conversation of seven on seven high school football Braves. Falcons, Hawks, everything we've talked about. It's been it's been a blast. Craig, thank you so much for, for spending part of your Sunday with us here on the last few guys do a podcast. Great, I appreciate you, man. Yeah. And my sister's cats are named Travis and Kelsey. Oh, oh no. That, that is a Chiefs fan right there. That is a Chiefs fan. Okay, you can catch this episode on Spotify, Sound SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. For joining us today, I'm John Morgan with Daniel Bolton and William Brown. We'll see you next time. This has been the last three guys to do a podcast. Have a good night.